You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. Chasers of light to the purveyors of pictures to all of you listening from around the world. This is the F 11 photography podcast. Last week you heard part one of our interview with Vanessa joy. And now let's dive into part two. The last few years, though, I've gotten so resourceful on just finding things that are hard to find. Because, like, uh, when I was at WPPI, I went by the Canon booth, and I had the 135, and everyone at Canon was like, where'd you get that? And like, like, Vanessa didn't even have I one. had to borrow it from you. Yeah, yeah. She had to borrow my 135 because nobody had it. But, like, I, I, I stumbled on something during the pandemic because, obviously, there were supply shortages of anything with the chip in it because they had chip shortages. And, you know... If you ask me, hey, where are you going to go shop? You know, I'd probably be like, oh, Adorama, you know, places like that. That's where I'll typically shop. But nobody had it. And uh, the the supply shortage is like out, outsmarting the supply shortages did so much for me. So like Best Buy. Best Buy has an insane amount of buying power. And I'm not plugging them because would you walk into a Best Buy to like talk to somebody about a camera? Of course you wouldn't. They'd be like, what? <laughs> I've never heard what Canon R what, you know, but. They have buying power and they have a gigantic warehouse and they have stuff in stock. So it was like, I bought my uh, 28 to 70 F2, my 85 1.2, my 50 1.2, my 14 to 35 F4, all through Best Buy. And nobody had them. And uh, it was it was crazy. But uh, also, like the resourcefulness, like when the R7 dropped, like the, the drop of the R7 actually monetized my YouTube channel because I, I was the first person to have it in Austin. And I, I made a really terrible, like I made a three-part review of the R7. And my first, my first video was terrible. I put it out in like a day because I was like, I want to get it out first because I want to get, you know, that's that's the name of the game on YouTube. And I did. And then uh, like two days later, Jared Pullen and Tony and Chelsea Northrup took me off the top spot for R7 Real World Views. But I had my moment and I got a lot of followers in that 48-hour period. But, you know, jumping on top of things, being resourceful, getting things, it's a, it's it's kind of nice. It's a skill, definitely a skill. Yes. So if you're listening uh, and you have buy, you have the money ready to go, and there's a, a, a shortage, go check out Best Buy. And I'm not plugging them really. It just I'm, it's more like, hey, if you need something now, because I certainly as hell wouldn't go to them for my photography, uh, you know, for any sort of advice. Well, you know, Best Buy does invest in the education of their camera people. I don't know if you know this. Do they have those? They do. They they call them digital imaging experts, and they go for a week uh, with me to uh, different resorts, and I teach them things about cameras, and they so do it with a lot of people. Are these people in the stores? Yeah, they're the people that are in the stores, and usually like 100 or so go. They used to do it three times a year, and now it's twice a year, and, you know... There's a Canon section and those are like your Canon experts. So I teach them, you know, cool things that you can do with the photos, with the cameras. And then also, you know, talk the uh, tech stuff or whatever new cameras coming out with Canon. So they do invest in their education, which is nice. I was today years old when I learned that. That Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Well, speaking of like the new age stuff, um, 
What do you think of generative fill with the new Photoshop beta? It is so much fun to watch it screw up. I really enjoy that. Um, but, you know, it's definitely helped save me hours and hours of time with some of the stuff that I do for my clients. Not that you're allowed to do it commercially, but um, they're really smart because it's free right now and everyone's going to realize for free how much time it saves and they will definitely start charging for it, I'm sure. it's Well, it's free, but they're using Adobe stock images and the authors of those images are going to eventually get paid royalties. So I'd imagine it's only free for a limited time. And then, oh, absolutely. then they're going to charge you per image, likely. Probably. Because it's just like stock. It's like, I want to use this piece of stock footage or whatever. It's like, well, you got to pay for it. So, yeah. uh, but I did a, a agency models uh, portfolio the other day and it was all fitness stuff. And she was doing all these yoga poses. And I tried to fill my backdrop in. Like all I did was I, I drew a lasso in Photoshop and I tried to fill my backdrop in and it sort of violated Adobe's like terms. I'm like, why yeah. is she in suggestive position? She's doing like downward facing dog. Like, so I don't know, like me, I mean, I, I totally get why they're trying to protect themselves because in this world where AI can do some crazy things, I think they're probably erring on the side of caution, but it's like, if I can't edit a yoga portfolio in a studio shoot by extending out the backdrop and filling it in, I mean, that, 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 that was, that was really bothersome. It pissed me off. Sometimes it's because like maybe, I don't know, you had a light stand that had a logo on it and it won't remove logos. Sometimes it's that I've had that problem before. It was just black. It was just, it was just the transition huh. of a paper backdop to black. I, I, I think it analyzes not just what you draw, but, but I think everything. it analyzes everything around it because I did not, I did not trace the model. I just, so like I inverted it. So, you know, you trace, you trace the model and then you, you select the inverse and then you're only doing what's outside of the model. And so that's what I selected. And it was just like, nope, this violates it. And it was like, you know, positions where she's sticking her, her butt out and stuff like that. But it's part of yoga. Like she's just, yeah. she's not doing anything sexually suggestive. She's just doing yoga. I wonder if you could copy like that section, everything without her, put it on a new file, fill it in and then put it back on the I mean, one. content aware fill still works. That's so, true. Uh, but, Sometimes. But the limitation, well, the big limitation right now of uh, genitive fill Oh, something fell in here. No biggie. That was my, it was my uh, beauty dish. Uh, so anyway, uh, one of the limitations right now of the generative fill is that there's a, uh, on the long end, it's like 1024. Well, I shoot on a 100 megapixel camera, so that doesn't do me much good. Uh, when you have a 202 megabyte file, a TIFF file in Photoshop, and the long side is 16,000 pixels, <laughs> and you have to have this thing scale 16 times to fill your so it's like, ew. Uh -uh. so hopefully that's something that they'll work on. Uh, cause, but so uh, generative fill, like I've, I've noticed that you can outsmart it sometimes. So like, uh, I did a, a shoot, uh, with a model who was, in, we went to this abandoned school in Austin. Uh, they were just like, it's all trashed out and everything. And I typed in like graffiti and it was like, Nope, can't do graffiti. Uh, but I, I put, I think he doesn't like the word, uh, dystopian either. No, no, it was, it was, it was, it was, uh, What's, what's your, brutalism. It doesn't like brutalism. That's your favorite word. He, Brandon likes really like desaturated dark stuff. If you see his portfolio. <laughs> uh, but I, I did type in dystopian and it did make everything look nice and weathered. And I also put abandoned building in there and it did it, uh, which I thought was cool, but, uh, it, it was, it was smart. Cause I was trying out I was trying to outsmart it. And I was like, I had a model, uh, and I was like, put a Santa Claus outfit on her and, and it did it. And I said, now put her in a bikini. And I was like, Nope. I was oh, like, all wow. right, good. No, that's good. I mean, that's smart. It's, yeah. you know, very unprofessional, obviously. Cause bikinis. like in my, in my contract with models, I have something in there that says like, I can't 
take your head and put it wherever I want to in Photoshop. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I, talk, I have a very, I have very uh, specific language about that because it, 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 we have been a messed up world and AI is going to uh, be an issue there. I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's going to take my job or whatever. And it's like, I'm actually more concerned about people weaponizing it to use it to like get revenge on somebody or yeah. something like that. Because uh, you can already Photoshop somebody's head onto anything. And uh, yeah, you don't want to see like an OnlyFans of somebody who doesn't actually have an OnlyFans and all of a sudden their head's on top of all Mm -hmm. these pictures and you're like, whoa, you're making money off my likeness. Uh, So I actually have a a specific section in my my contract that says I can't do that. So models are like, okay, cool. That's great. I never thought to actually put that in there. I just usually hope people assume I'm not a creep, but I guess Uh, you don't know me, you never know. Guys, guys have to be a little bit more careful with that kind of stuff. This is true. Although I do know some female photographers in this town who have done some questionable things. <laughs> so uh, really pissed the models off. But, uh, you know, I, I would say, though, with artificial intelligence, I'm, I'm telling you, my, my, my prediction of the very first job it's going to take, it's going to take the headshot photographer's job. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of total crap right now, but I, I could see that. It gets going to get better and headshot photography will be harder to come by. Well, I hear headshot photographers brag about how much money they make and like, and all I do is take my lights and I move them up and down based off of somebody's height. I have tape put down everywhere where I put my lights in my studio and it's like, wow, that sounds like a really good blueprint for the very first AI job to take. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I definitely do headshots and I make a lot of money and it is kind of stupid money in yeah, a lot of ways. I mean, headsh- I mean, let's be honest, like. No headshot photographers like going around going, oh, my gosh, I'm this crazy artistic person. They're, no, they're 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 doing a repeatable thing. There's nothing wrong with it, by the way. It's I have absolutely nothing but love for headshot photographers, but it's not like shooting an editorial and telling a story in like 20 pictures or something like that. You know, it's, it's a very different type of photography and it's one that's incredibly technical. And hey, guess what? A.I can be incredibly technical too. And so the, the less you can fool it, the better it can do it. And if something's super repeatable and easy to do, well, there you go. Mm hmm. I'm going to transition to our next sponsor because we are talking about AI. Uh, Harness the power of AI with Luminar Neo. Love them. Yes. Luminar Neo is awesome. We talk about AI and AI is right now it's a buzzword. Some people actually utilize AI and other people like some, some people take like uh, features that they've had in their program forever and they just put AI on it now. I'm like, cool, we have AI. But uh, Luminar Neo is really awesome because a lot of you out there, you're not into like going into all these sub menus of Photoshop to get to things. And maybe you're more a visual learner and you need modules uh, and you need things to do things fast for you. You need modules that can do things fast for you. So what I love about Luminar Neo is that uh, there's just like these really boring tasks that I have to do when I'm editing and it can do them very fast. So maybe you're a landscape photographer and the bane of your existence is power lines. They actually have a module that is specifically dedicated to removing power lines and it does a very awesome job. So check that out. Uh, If you're one of those natural light photographers who has not yet embraced uh, flash, uh, I got great news for you. Uh, There is a module for uh, people uh, in their faces and it will automatically uh, take the shadows out and lighten them up. It will automatically uh, select them. So uh, it has like a, uh, a mask AI and it detects people just like you're used to seeing if you're using um, the, uh, f- the Photoshop generative fill where it detects the person with the mask. It does that. Uh, definitely check it out. Uh, you can get it. Uh, it's a perpetual license. It's not that expensive. And if you use the code Kevin 10, uh, or you just use the link in the description below, you can get 10% off your copy of Luminar Neo today. All right. We're going to shift talk 
to something that's going to bore the ever-living hell out of Brandon because he shoots on Nikon. <laughs> but we have a Canon Explorer of Light in here, so I want to talk Canon stuff. Okay. S- some of the stuff she'll she'll be cool with. I don't think I'm going to ask you anything you're contractually not obligated to talk about yeah. or whatever yeah. you do, something you don't want to <laughs> talk about. Not, don't worry. I'm a Canon user, so I, don't, I, I, I love the system. Um, I shoot on several systems, but if you ask me what my primary is, it's still to this day Canon because it, it's reliable. It's like, it's sort of like you say with the pro photo lights, it's yes. like, Oh, I have a very, so I have a very important job. I'm shooting tomorrow morning. It's on the arts here side. So I'm tempted to bring my medium format Fuji out, but I, I'm more concerned about it going perfectly. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I love Canon. I'm going to have some Canon related questions that I'm going to ask you. Are you completely off EF glass now? No, uh, because I still have my DSLRs and I have the one I have one DSLR. Now I have the Rebel. And then I also have uh, the 1DX3. And I don't want to get rid of my DSLR glass, especially since it's so easily used by a $100 adapter on any, you know, RF um, mount. So it's just nice being able to have almost like backups, but in the form of EF glass. And yeah, I don't know. I just don't want to get rid of my DSLRs. I got rid of... All of my EF glass, I'm, except for three lenses, I'm down to my Nifty 50 because it's so close to the newer Nifty 50. I'm just like, nah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm good. And I never use it, but it's there. I also have the 40 millimeter F2.8 pancake. If I want to go shoot some street photography with 35 millimeter, I do that. And I, uh, then the last one, which is funny because I have technically replaced it, but I will never get rid of it. And that is the 135 F2. Because it's beautiful. It's such a good lens. It is. It is. It's absolutely a good lens. Um, it's one of the lenses that probably resolves the best on the newer large uh, megapixel bodies. I will say, uh, it's, it is it is funny, though, because in these Facebook groups, you get these people who go, oh, I'm not going to buy the RF glass. It's a ripoff. And I'm like... If you go look at the files, uh-huh. you'll shut up. Like, uh-huh. like nothing screams. I've never used the RF glass. Yes. Like it's a ripoff. It's like, you've never used it. Mm-hmm. Like you take like the, the RF 85 1.2 and you compare it to the older EF uh, 85 1.2. And it's like, Hey, do you like chromatic aberration? Do you like soft stuff when it's wide open? Use the 25 year old version of this lens or get the new one. Shoot at 1.2. Everything's super sharp, super high contrast, beautiful. The colors render amazingly. If you're listening to this, like, just don't be that dude. No, just admit that you don't want to buy it yet. And that's okay. 100%. Totally okay. But you 100%. don't got to knock on it because it's expensive. And it is for the record. It, it is expensive. It is expensive. And, you know, uh, that brings me to my, 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 my next part of the Canon talk, which is lenses that Canon hasn't come out with mm. that they need to come out with. And because the, the number one is very obvious to me. So the, the Canon RF mount turns five this year. It's a half a decade old. It came out in 2018, wow. which means that, uh, that, you know, they probably at least researched for two years, three years, four years, five years. So let's just say they did research and development for five years from concepts till now. So the RF mount is at least a concept for the last decade. Okay. Something like that. Fair. How in the hell is there not a flagship 35 millimeter <laughs> lens to me? And I, I, I'm not an explorer of light, so I can say whatever I want. But uh, to me, it's like, how do you even launch a line of lenses 
without the ultimate storytelling lens, and that's 35 millimeters. But you know why? Because the 28 to 70 F2 exists. And well, I think they felt that would like hold off and they have the less expensive RF version, which is gorgeous too. We'll get to that. <laughs> I agree. I agree, by the way, the RF 35 uh, 1.8, and I say this in my YouTube review, because I'm gonna plug my YouTube channel, is the best value in the entire RF lineup, period. And, it, and it, I, had a, I had an episode on my top five RF lenses and it came in at number four. Nice. And that was in, that was all RF lenses because of how valuable it was. Mm-hmm. Lens quality isn't everything, despite the fact that the lens quality on that is pretty damn good. To to your point, uh, I did a test of the twenty eight to seventy, which is a thirty two hundred dollar lens, roughly at thirty five millimeters, and I stopped down to like f eight, and then I did the thirty five, the RF thirty five at f eight, and the. The cheaper lens actually was a tiny bit sharper. Interesting. Yes. And I have no idea the technical reasons why. Because it's a prime. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, I mean, it can at least hang with a $3,000 lens. Now, you can't zoom in with it, but it's also macro. So uh, if you, I, I actually put that in my review too. It's like, hey, if you're a wedding photographer and you can't afford the 100, use the 35 because it's a 35 already. It's your storytelling lens and it's your macro lens. It's what? not true macro, no. but it's, it's, it's like. Do you know the minimum focusing distance? Uh, close. I don't close. remember. I don't remember off the top of my head, but close enough to get the rings. Yeah. And then if you're shooting with like the R5, which is 45 megapixels, you can crop quite a bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, we're going to talk about other things I want to see Canon do. And because you know people, so you can relay this. You relay this <laughs> to them or just say, listen to Kevin's podcast. Uh, we're talking about the 28 to 70 F2, which in my top five list was my number one choice. I literally have it right here. It's beautiful. I'm going to take your portrait later with it. Uh, the 28 to 70 F2 is an amazing lens. And it was a statement lens, I thought, but it's also like four years old now. And we're, I'm, I don't want to say disappointed, but kind of like, hey, Canon, come on, let's go. Is they need an, they need a F2 Holy Trinity. I would love that. Actually, what I would love, and I've said this before, is like, give me an 85 to 135 F2. Well, Canon like, that has would a, be awesome. Canon has a patent filed for a 70 to 135 F2. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was continues. They do tend to file patents for like, they they file patents for everything, but that patent exists. So, so my thought process is, I mean, that's basically what you're talking about. Instead of Mm -hmm. 85, it starts at 70. Like, okay, cool. 70 to 135. Cause like as a, as a portrait photographer who shoots full frame, I typically never go beyond 135. 135 is usually the longest I go. However, I will get into uh, another lens I want them to come out with that is longer. We'll get to that in a minute, but then maybe on the other side, they could do something that's like a 16 to 28 F2. And you could have an ultra wide, a mid, I mean, it would be a heavy ass bag, yeah. but you'd only have to take three lenses. But do you, I mean, do you even need F2 at like 16? I yeah. mean, so for, for low light, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. For low light. But like, for example, I have the 15 to 35 F2.8, but if I'm traveling, I just bring the RF 16 2.8. Me too. And which is awesome. And it's a little baby. Which, which was number five on my nice. list of best Canon lenses because. It's such a cool lens. Because. I, I'm very much, hey, take the unorthodox picture. Yes. I don't even consider the RF 16 millimeter 2.8 to be a lens because it's like the size of the EF to RF adapter. Mm-hmm. I literally can put it in my pocket. And so I don't even like consider it as a lens choice when I go out on a job. I just bring it with me. Yeah. And, and then I'm like, oh, I need a unique shot. And I'm like, hey, let's do an ultra wide, like stand in the middle of the frame. I'm going to get this really cool shot of the entire environment, like kind of sucking you in because it's like yes. this huge wide shot. So yes, awesome. Uh, the number one lens 
I want to see Canon come out with besides, well, I, I already, I already said a bunch of them, but the one that they need to do is the 200 millimeter, either 1.8 or F.2. Yes. Or F2. Like 0. the old yeah. one that yes. was discontinued. Yes. This is so good. It, like, it looks like, it looks like a painting. It looks like a, it looks like a Renaissance painting. Like it's so, it's so perfect. It almost looks fake, but, but in a good way. But it was so heavy. Yes. That's so the like problem. for, I, I borrowed it once from CPS and I had to have a whole other bag for it. It was so big, so heavy. I want them to do that, but somehow not as big and heavy. And I don't think that's a possibility, like with the physics of it all. I don't know. No, no. Uh, so Brandon and I are going to do an episode soon. And we had a Nikon shooter in here earlier for the interview. We're going to do an episode where we are both going to do a professional shoot with each other's cameras. So I'm going to switch to Nikon and I've already been pitched on why I need to like, here's what you can expect with Nikon, uh, with Brandon, Brandon like looks at the back of my camera sometimes and goes, wow, that looks really pretty. <laughs> that's all he knows about Canon. And then my results, but pitch Brandon on what he needs to expect on why he'll like shooting on a Canon camera. Uh, the, the most obvious thing will be the autofocus system because it, it is just stellar. It is always accurate. It always finds the eyeball. That's definite. And then the color is going to be really different. And obviously, aside from the lens zooming the other direction, it's backwards. Is, isn't your major complaint about your Nikon is how many misses you get during a session? Mm. Yes. However, that was a that was a malfunction on my part. Um, see, with the Godox trigger, that thing that you talk about, where like the the camera artificially shows the exposure based on the flash. Yeah, we call that uh, exposure simulation in it, Canon. That only happened with that new Godox trigger. My old trigger didn't do that. For, so for some reason, it activated with that, and suddenly I like stopped missing shots. Because of, okay, I got you. I got you. So. But but be prepared to like really color your photos because Nikon shoots so desaturated and I love it personally, but like, it's not like Canon where it, like you can see it and the colors are all there. Like Nikon shoots without color for the most part. I'll just use her joyfully simple preset on it. It's a great preset. That was, that was a, that was a, that Maybe was a the bright and vibrant for a Nikon file. Which by the way, is a quick side tangent. I, I'm not a preset person, but I was in a crunch and I actually bought Vanessa's presets because <laughs> I shot a wedding. I was like, shit, I gotta get this done. And I just like put on the joyfully simple and I was like, Cool. That'll do it. <laughs> That'll do it. That'll work. And then the you have a muted one, a muted uh, black and white one, which is really good too. Kind of a, a matte, matte thing going on. I really like that. But uh, I'm going to show you one of the coolest things about a Canon camera. Okay. Or the new, any, any Canon camera that's over like $1,500, uh, Brandon, which is, uh, you see how when I take this lens off, there's this little curtain in front of it. Yeah. And when I turn, when I turn the camera on. You'll see it pop up, and when I turn it off a second later, it'll go down. That's yeah, nice. Yes. So Wait, you, you don't have mechanical shutters? We don't have the, the shutter covers. Uh. I'm wondering if this is like a uh, – because so here's the, here's the deal. Like I've had my R5 since 2020 when it came out, and do you know how many times I've cleaned the sensor on this? Maybe once. No, zero times. I own a uh, – a Fuji GFX 100S that has a sensor that's like twice the size of this and doesn't have that on there. Guess how many times I've cleaned that sensor? Well, if it's if you're like me with my Nikon, probably once every shoot. Uh, not that often because uh, I still like do best practices, but I clean it a lot. And I don't want to touch a $6,000 camera's uh, <laughs> sensor. I, I know you're technically touching a piece of glass between the sensor and your swab, but like who, like if you scratch it, like that's, you're screwed. 
And uh, that, I'm, I'm begging and pleading all camera manufacturers, like, come on, get with the program here. And and and, and I, I gotta I gotta think that like Canon like has a patent on this or something, and that's why nobody else uses it because it's so obvious. And it's it's like they put it on their R7, which is like I mean, it's a crop sensor, it's their flagship crop sensor, but it's still like I mean. Crop sensors for years for Canon for the most part, and I'm, I'm totally putting words in their mouth, but it's somewhat of an afterthought. I mean, their flagships are all full frame. They're not like Fuji where they go all in on their XF, uh, their X mount where it's all, you know, crop sensors. So, but they're still putting that technology in a crop sensor, which is awesome. And so, uh, that's something cool. So when you, ch- the, it's the, it's the, when you turn it off and you, you take your lens off. You don't have to worry about screwing the sensor up or getting dust on it. So that's something that's cool about the experience of shooting on a Canon. I took this thing out to uh, White Sands, and I was fine. Uh, we went to Grand Canyon last summer, and a bead of sweat fell off my forehead onto the sensor of my GFX, and I didn't have a swap. Sw- I didn't have a swab with me, so like all my big hundred megapixel files have this bead of. And I think I had COVID at the time. COVID sweat on. <laughs> no. I, we had just got. We had just left Vegas, and uh, we were driving home. And I was like, I'm getting sick. And I was like, Wow, I, I actually spilled COVID all over my camera. <laughs> oh, that's awful. Yeah, it was bad. But uh, but anyway, uh, the other thing though that will throw you off is that the the the, the dials are backwards. So your uh, your front finger is going to be your, your shutter speed. Hi, I'm Jordan Groby, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. The last thing I want to talk about with Canon. And, and, and I want to get your opinion on this. So you shoot on an R3, right? One of your, one of your camera bodies? One of them, yeah. Okay. If somebody stole your R3, would you want to know where it is? Well, yeah. Okay, yeah. It wasn't a trick <laughs> question. So I, I told... Like, did you steal it and I haven't noticed? <laughs> no, 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 no. But, uh, but so uh, I told this story on this pod uh, a few, few pods ago, which is uh, we just went to Disney World. And we got on Space Mountain, and when we got off Space Mountain, when when, when the the you know the train got to the end, I noticed like the, the conductor first of all made me put my bag around my shoulders, and when I got there, like all my cables had thrown up all over my son basically, like there's just like laptop cables and all this stuff. I'm like, oh shit! So I put it all in the bag, and I'm like all freaking out. And we walk like a hundred hundred yards away from Space Mountain, and my phone vibrates, and it's like your AirPods were left behind. I'm like, what? And I grab my AirPod case and my AirPods are gone. I'm like, oh, oh crap. And so I go to find my phone and it shows me inside Space Mountain where my left and my right AirPod wow. Pro <laughs> earbuds are. And, you know, I'm like, well, they're they're gone. I and mean, if you've ever been to Space Mountain, it's pitch black in there. Um, and even if you know they find it, or whatever, it's probably you know, it falls down or whatever. But <laughs> so my wife convinced me to file the loss and found report. I did it. Uh, two days later, we're getting on a flight uh, back to Austin, and I get an email from Disney World saying, we found your AirPods. Wow. And they're serialized, so they didn't find somebody else's AirPods. They found my AirPods. And, of mm-hmm. course, when you fil- file a loss and found report, uh, they ask you to put attachments on there. And I attached and said, this is exactly where they are. So they found them, and then they sent them to me. And, and like, two weeks later, I had them, and they work. Those are $150 earbuds, okay? How much is an R3? Six grand, right? Yeah. So, uh, and and this is, you know, if Canon's listening, I used to own a 6D and you guys had inside the hot shoe, a GPS tracker in there because when I would go into Lightroom, it would tell me where I took every picture on the map because of that thing that you had in there. And that was awesome. Now I know you guys connected to the phone and all that, but I'm, I'm begging and pleading, put tracking 
in your cameras. And, and yes, I do realize that there's, it has to be a proof of ownership thing online, a registration, just like you have with the SIM card with the phone, because you have your SIM card tied to your iPhone, which is tied to a serial number, which is tied to everything else. And that's how you find it. But somebody's spending $6,000, maybe they can opt into a service or whatever. And, you know, if they sell it to somebody secondhand or whatever, you know, then yeah, they have to transfer ownership online. I know that there's a registration process, but you're smart enough to, you're smart enough to make a 28 to 70 F2. I have a feeling you're smart enough to figure out how to implement that. I would love that. And, you know, maybe even uh, if, if you want to maybe have like a, a separate battery, like near the battery compartment, like one of those little disc batteries that you put inside of your, um, your, you know, your, your scale that you use in your bathroom. That way, if somebody steals your camera and they take the battery out, you can still track it. Yeah, that would be nice. I always wonder, like, does Apple have some proprietary technology there that like Canon would have to reinvent versus copy? I mean, you know, I know it's obviously got to be either cell phone tower or satellite based. So they'd have to, they'd have to get in, involved with that somehow. But, you know, go, go hit up Elon Musk, get him off Twitter for a few <laughs> seconds and uh, you know, latch onto one of his satellites. But uh, I think that would be really awesome because, you know, I mean, yeah, I know there's people who are like super paranoid about the government and stuff. And like, oh, I don't want people to know where I am, even though they're on Facebook all day long and their, their phone's already tracking their movements everywhere. But I personally, yes, I have insurance. I have commercial insurance. If somebody steals my stuff, but I don't even want to pay my deductible or my, you know, I don't, I just want to get my camera back. Right. The and deductible is more than those, the iPods, iPads, whatever they are. AirPod Pros. AirPods, yeah. There it is. They clearly have had some sort of satellite based technology with their GPS stuff on the 60 and the 60 came out in like 2011. I think they still have GPS stuff in the newer cameras. I never use it, so I'm yeah, I don't sure. know. I just know that like the R5 uses the phone. They use they use the what you you connect to the app and then the phone. Every time you take a picture, it's like oh you were here and it does it maps it out mm. off of your phone's uh, ability to map where you're at. So, uh, but I would love to see them do that. Right now, I'm doing kind of a poor man's version of it. I just buy like five Air Tags and I put them in each of my bags. There you go. And uh, but if somebody uh, takes the camera out of the bag, I no longer know where the camera is. What do you? I, I see Brandon thinking. He's deep in thought what's up i just had the mental image of getting like you know like um you know cell phones back when they were flip phones and you got those like little like stringy things those little gems or like tote things that go into the phone did anyone have that experience you, you have no, no idea what i'm talking about okay no. it's like it's like a little dongle like a little charm for your phone back in like 2006 2007 and I can just see Kevin walking around all of his gear, having a little string coming from where the, the shoulder strap would go and just like little tiles just hanging off all of his stuff, just jingling around as he goes. All right. Yeah. Can no, I be bedazzled? I'd like that in the vision. I think I think Kevin could rock the bedazzled, uh, the bedazzled tile. You think so? Yeah. I think you do it like ironically and then you'd act super tough like with it on. Yeah. It's just creative freedom gives you the freedom to do anything. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I I, I, um, I guess I can picture it. Sure, why not? I'm going to shift gears mm. to something that all three of us can identify with, and uh, that's because we're no longer talking about Canon. But I know you can identify at least with the tracking thing, like because you know you spend a lot of money on your Nikon. I thoroughly enjoy the Canon conversation. I that's thought it good. was really eye opening. Yeah, it gave me a really good uh, viewfinder on the on the camera series. So it was great. Nice metaphor. <laughs> um. So. I want to shift gears to YouTube talk because all three of us have YouTube channels. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. It's really painful, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. It is. Uh, something that you said that I think I half agree with, half disagree with is uh, not not based off of what you do, because I'm actually going to give you a compliment here. But you, I think someone 
you mentioned somebody made a comment basically saying YouTubers don't know anything about photography or something mm. like that. But here's what I will say. A lot of YouTube channels turn me off in that the stuff that they show is just super boring. And, you know, one of the reasons why I think your channel is so successful and one of the reasons why I like your channel and, you know, somebody like uh, Jared Pullen, people like that is rather than taking a picture of a chart <laughs> and going, here's the corner sharpness at F8. Here's the corner sharpness at F5.6. And, you know, here's how it focus breathes and all that. It's like, here's work I did on it. Right. Because that's why you're buying these. Real work. Not you know, when like, doing, yeah. In, yeah. A, in a vacuum work. Like, like if I see Frono's photos, he'll go do like a, a Philly, uh, a Philadelphia, uh, uh, you know, Phillies game or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, cool. That's the type of person this particular lens is being marketed toward. You're using it in the correct real world environment, you know, because what, you know, like, like someone will freak out about like corner sharpness. And it's like, that's cool. I'm shooting at 1.2. My subject's in the middle. I don't care about corner sharpness. Right. Like, exactly. Like, I'm not shooting landscapes at F22. Like I'm okay. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, but that's, I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, you I like your YouTube channel so much is that you are like, Hey, here's real world examples. And, uh, you know, it, it's very informative. I, I, I your one thirty five uh, review, I, I stole something from it. Uh, <laughs> I took a nugget from it that I didn't know before I watched it, which was, and I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. Uh, the, the, EF-135, when you put the adapter on it, is actually a tiny bit longer than the new lens. Yes. I was like, and shit, heavier. I didn't know that. And I was like, all right, I'm stealing that from Vanessa. I'm going to put that in my review. <laughs> <laughs> and I did. So, uh, but but as I was saying earlier, like, uh, you know, a lot of these YouTube personalities, I, I do think that there are some people, they have YouTube channels and it's like, well, maybe you just talk about gear all day because you don't shoot particularly well. And I do think there are some channels out there that are like really boring. Now, I think it's, Way worse, and Brandon can back me up on this in the film photography community. There's like, here's a picture of an old but abandoned gas station. <laughs> I'm gonna take it with this, you know, eight by ten camera, and I'm gonna, and it's just like, you're like, dude, like I could have taken that with my iPhone. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like, come on, like take take a picture of something that's interesting. Just because it's film doesn't mean it's good. Uh, well, it's funny because I, I put models on the spot all the time. Like, I want to shoot film with you. I'm like, oh yeah, why? And they're like, like, cause it looks nice. Like, they just like get flustered and. Like, I mean, I know why I want to shoot film with people. I, I, I think that there's just like this cool organic thing going on with it. And I'm going for something beautiful with it that the film enhances, but you're not going to get that response it, usually out of somebody asked that too. That makes me think of uh, Leica guys. Now, I don't want to talk badly about people who own a Leica, but <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, it, it seems that anyone who has a Leica M6 as like their first film camera, like they don't feel the need to progress as a photographer. Like they'll just take a photo of anything and the picture is so crisp and the color and contrast is so inherently good out of camera that it, you almost like, it almost looks great. Like, you don't like, it looks like there doesn't need to be any like photographical prowess because the photo itself is just so beautiful and the colors come out so great that it doesn't need to be a good shot. So it is the equipment, not the photographer. When it comes to the Leica, I feel like, yeah. Leica does have a really awesome look. And I mean, I, you know, a lot of people are like, wow, you know, you just collect gear, Kevin. I was like, no, like we all get into photography for different reasons. I, the reason I'm a big gearhead is because I'm, I'm like, I want to learn every single thing I can about photography 
before I die. And there's a reason why different systems excel in different areas. And I want to learn, I want to learn why it's like, uh, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a Fuji GFX group and they're these, like just these rich doctor dudes who were like, Oh, I went out and bought a GFX 100. Huge, and, huge niche of photographers, yeah. by the way. And then, and then they, and then they just shoot. And it looks like, it looks like you're taking the shot with my iPhone. Like it's just a snapshot. It's like, like what, what, what my, my thing on gear is gear really shows its worth when you take like an extraordinary shot, it can, take it to that next level, but you still have to know how to take the extraordinary shot. If you, it didn't take it for you, you took the extraordinary shot. It, it's like makeup. It like enhanced and accentuated everything and made it better. Like if you shoot in medium format, as we talked about in our medium format episode, medium format has a look. And if you nail the look, uh, if you nailed your shot and then you get that enhancement with that look of medium format and people are just like, Oh my gosh, there's something amazing about your photo that just stands out. Yeah, the medium format helped, but it's mainly like I know how to frame, I know how to, you know, work with models who know how to pose, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, well that that being said, there is a whole genre of photos of of blue collar workers like tradesmen where people in the film community, they just stage these very normal shots of these blue collar workers just standing outside their workplace, whether they're like blacksmiths or fisher, fishermen or something oh, like that. I know that. exactly what you're talking about. And they just take those just candid, just there he is standing with a hammer in his hand or his rod, just like, you know, half smiling, kind of just super candid, super raw. And for some reason, that that isn't communicated as well in a digital photo. I, I feel like for some reason, maybe I'm falling for it, but that, that photo on film seems to communicate a lot clearer the intent than it does on digital. When you say on film, does it matter the format or are you specifically referring to medium format? Um, I've seen the higher, usually it's higher quality 35 millimeter. And if it's, yeah, they're usually taken on 126 by seven. But I've seen very high quality 35 mil that just, you know, I, I delivers think, the same effect. I, I think I think some of that has been implanted in your head over the years because that's just the photojournalistic thing. That's the like you pick up National Geographic from 40 years ago. They have that shot and you 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 were trained on film with that shot. Like that's that's where you first saw it. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's like the go-to shot if you're a photojournalist is you do the the trade, the blue-collar dude standing in front of his trade that he's so badass at, and then you just get a really badass environmental portrait, shoot it on film, and it stands out. So, You are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. We were talking about YouTube. We got off on a tangent <laughs> there. Uh, so here's here's something I think we can all relate to. And I already know the answer from both of you, even though I'm going to ask the question. It's for the audience. You put out two videos. Video number one. Here are five tips that help you become a better photographer and a better human being. Video number two. Here is my review of the latest Canon, Nikon, Hasselblad lens. Which video does way better every time? Gear. Yeah. Gear every single time. What's worse is the fact that you put out business videos or marketing videos that people need to understand in order to pay for the gear. And those flop even worse. It's crazy. You know, you, you try to help people because like I'm, I'm in these photography groups and I'm, I'm not nearly as successful in business as you are, but I, I just, I'm, I'm successful enough where people come to me for advice sometimes. And they'll be like, oh, I'm starting this photography company and I don't know how to price myself. And they, they like value themselves so low and they pull the market down for everybody else. And they're like, oh, I, I have these people who are like, oh, I want to hire somebody, but I don't want to break the bank. And it's like all you're training the customer is to hire somebody who's having problems paying their bills. Because <laughs> <you, laughs> I mean, it's like, OK, I, I just want to like, 
you think about it though, as a, as a consumer, as a customer, like, do you want to hire somebody who can't even pay their bills because your, your standards are so low? It's like, don't you want somebody who's good? It's just, it's crazy. Interesting to try. way to look at it. Yeah. I mean, it's true though. And you know, get these people who, who value themselves so low. Like one, the one thing I always try to hammer home with people is they're like, well, I just started my photography business. I shouldn't charge much. I'm like, well, how long have you been shooting? Like 10 years. I was like, well, you've been shooting for 10 years. Your work is a certain quality. You just need to know how to run a business. There's no reason why you should charge like you've been shooting for five minutes. You know, your tenure, you, you have 10 years of experience as a photographer. You should charge like you have 10 years of experience as a photographer. Now, if it's wedding, that's different. <laughs> but you, you, need to, you, need to, you need to be, you need to go under somebody's wing and learn how that whole train stays on the tracks. But, you know, you're taking a family out in the field and shooting portraits. You've done that before. You know, like you're just charging for it now. Charge like you've been doing it for 10 years because you've been doing it for 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're not going to charge like someone who's been doing it for 20, but so many people undervalue themselves and you can't make a living that way. And that's not fair to you. It's not fair to the photographers around you. And you're not teaching the consumer world to value photography that the way they should professional photography. I agree. Speaking of teaching, what's like, well, this is a two part question. First of all, what's, what are the most common things that um, photographers ask you for advice. And number two, has that changed over the years? Ironically, most people ask me for marketing advice, even though, even though those videos don't do well, but it goes back to what we said in the beginning. People are always expecting a pat answer as if I were suggesting what lens to buy next, but it, it hasn't changed over the years. People always ask me that. How do you get my, how do I get my next job? How do I get more people? How do I get people to pay me? Do you, do you go through like funks where you're just like, I'm not in the mood to make a YouTube video? Oh yeah. Um, I, I just like, when I got back from vacation, like I, I did a generative AI fill video right before I went on vacation and I've only put out one video since it was like early June. I'm like, dude, I really, I'm like, I need to, I need to get some viewership up. I'm like, I'm just going to make some random Canon video. Cause those always do well. Like I'm going to, I'm going to do like, uh, I'm going to do a general like Canon versus Fuji video or something and get the fanboys pissed off. Mm-hmm. They it, get so mad. I talked about fanboyism uh, in the last episode. It's so stupid. It's like, they're like Sony sucks. Nikon sucks. Canon's the best or whatever. It's like, dude, you want your competitors to be good because then, then, then your, your, the brand you like will then start going, Oh man, we got to put this feature in our camera. Like it's, it's good to have healthy competition. You want to root for the competitors to be successful. Yeah. And quite frankly, at this rate, no camera sucks like nothing hundred <laughs> percent. Like, like, is there an exposure triangle on the camera? Yeah. Is there an autofocus on the camera? Does it work? Okay. It's on you. Like, yeah. like if you take bad Unless pictures, you like suck- it, apparently uh, well, <laughs> one day I, I, I'm interested in getting like the, um, the monochrome version of the Leica. Uh, Cause, but when you shoot in monochrome, like if you have a monochrome sensor, so, you know, like when you shoot a uh, 12,000 ISO or whatever, and you start mm-hmm. lifting the shadows, you start seeing like that static, but the static is color, right? Mm. So when you shoot on a monochrome only sensor, uh, there that goes away. So you can shoot like on, on a Leica at like 25,000 ISO and it looks like a 800 ISO shot because it, a lot of the noise that, that you get is coming from the color part of the sensor. So you can shoot insanely dark situations on a Leica. In the on the monochrome only version, 
and you get some really great results. Uh, the problem is, is it's like, gosh, if I got six thousand dollars, man, like I could the, buy, I could buy like three pro photo lights. The better, <laughs> the better question is, Kevin, is when will you be shooting in a backwoods alley of Tennessee at midnight? You know, like when are you gonna need that technology, dude? Well, there's that one guy. I think his name's like Phil Penman or whatever. I think it's his last name. He shoots a he shoots in Manhattan all the time, and his his like stuff is amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Every time I see that come up my feet, I'm like, damn, that guy's got a cool gig. Yeah, last time I tried to shoot at twenty two thousand, I was doing a nightclub gig, and even then it was a little bit bright the sensors are getting a little better that okay here's a rant i have and i think this is about lack of education so like i came up on film and i still shoot film i love grain i think grain's beautiful i think all the all those little organic pieces of grain that come together to form a photo is like one of the most beautiful things ever and then you see these people in these forms and are like i hate my r5 because it has too much noise and like what they don't realize is that it's a higher megapixel camera and so like uh, Lightroom or Capture One is zooming you in more than if you had like an R6, which is like a 20, 20 megapixel. And so you're more zoomed in. And so you're seeing the noise and it's like, do you, okay, let's just say you made a print of that. Do you stand like five inches in front of a, a you know, a 24 by 36 print? No, you don't. You stand back and you look at it. It's sort of like you don't go up to your television and look at your television up close. And so the things that can, people complain about, it's like, this isn't a big deal. I've literally never had a client even, the clients don't even know what noise is. Like that's photographer bullshit. Like the only people who care about noise are photographers in forums, apparently. <laughs> right. And your, your consumers are only looking at your photo on Instagram. So on their little phone, so they're not seeing anything. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one thing I want to do before we wrap up is uh, you have uh, your insiders program. I want I you to do. talk about that because you, you took time out of your busy schedule, your very busy schedule to talk to us and we greatly appreciate it. So we want to give you some time to talk about what you're up to. Well, basically I just made what I like to call the lunch table. I wish I always sat at and I made photo insiders for all the photographers that want to learn and want to be involved in a photo community online and in person. We do meetups at, at the shows, but it's not like your typical group. I mean, I wouldn't even say I have that many wedding photographers in there. It's like wedding, portrait, landscape, hobbyist. It's kind of everybody. But one thing I like about it, aside from, you know, there's the whole platform and a video comes out every month and we do a live broadcast every month, is we host our community in Discord versus like Facebook groups. Just Facebook groups make me want to pull my eyelashes out one by one. And I just, I love... Uh, using Discord, it's, it reminds me of like the old school forums and they have, you know, sections where we talk about marketing and lighting and film and weddings and, you know, it's just such a fun place. So it's your monthly subscription, you know, that typical model, but you can go to thephotoinsiders.com to check it out. Thank you so very much. Uh, thank you to Vanessa Joy. Let's all give her a hand. That does it for today's episode. Uh, thank you to Vanessa Joy. Go check her out. Uh, we will leave links to all of her, uh, her websites, uh, Instagram, all that fun stuff uh, in the description of this pod. Speaking of this pod, you can check us out at f11pod.com. Uh, our handles on all the social media sites we never use are f11pod, uh, whether that's Twitter or Instagram. Maybe we'll get threads. What do you think, Brandon? 
I don't think anyone's going to be using threads in about a month and a half. I think it'll evolve or devolve back into the old Instagram spiel very quickly. Well, we will see about that. But until next time, kids, uh, chase light and not algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.